two. And uh, I forgot a few minutes ago to introduce our guest this morning. It's always good to have guests in church. And we have Carol over here and Trina, right? I got it right. And Carol's thinking, how did you know my name? I had two people sitting next to you on either side tell me your name. And so I will greet you after the service. But thanks for being here today, both of you, and being a part of our service. Did you get a visitor's card this morning? No? Um, Ryan, you want to take care of getting a visitor's card for me? They're in the foyer there. And that just records your visit as well as we have a gift for you at the end of the service. So thanks for being here with us today. And let's welcome our guests to the service this morning. Okay. Normally I do it earlier. I forgot. So, Okay. What? Oh. And then um, does anyone need an outline for the message this morning as well? I think the ushers pretty much got everyone taken care of. And so we'll dive right into the message today. And so normally I do those things earlier, but I... Uh, waited till now to do those things. So we've been going through the book of Ephesians now for a while, and we're continuing here as we see several things. And I want you to look at our verse this morning. And before we look at that verse, I want you to look back two verses. Last week we talked about verse 8 and 9, but verse 8 and 9 help us explain verse number 10 so much more. Look at verse number 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. Today we're going to talk about the workmanship of grace. We're going to talk about our works today. Now, before we talk about our works, what we've got to remember is works do not save. If a person this morning is trusting in their good works, in their baptism, trusting in anything but Jesus Christ, there is no salvation in it. The Bible's clear about that right here. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You cannot earn it on your own. It's the gift of God, and it's not of works, lest any man should boast. But after we're saved, we see something here. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We've looked at several things so far as we've studied the book of Ephesians. We've seen, and when we think about God's grace, when we go back to chapter number one, and we think about how grace chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Grace has given us all spiritual blessings in all things, Grace has determined that we'll be like Jesus and with Jesus one day and praise God for that. Grace has made us accepted in Jesus. Grace proved the blood of Christ that washed away our sins. Grace reached out to us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Grace loved us. Grace gave us life. Grace has secured our future and grace has secured our salvation. And it has nothing to do with you and I, everything we possess is because of what God has done for us. And it's by grace we are saved. You see, we earn nothing, but we still receive. We deserve nothing, but we still receive. We purchase nothing, we still receive. Everything we have in Jesus Christ has been given to us by the free grace of God Almighty. God has given us the gift of His grace and doesn't expect and doesn't ask, well, I'll put it this way, He doesn't ask a single thing in return. We don't have to repay Him for His grace because we never could repay Him for His grace. And while God doesn't expect any return payments from us, He does expect a return on His investment. The work of God's grace in us results in some real changes taking place in our lives. Think about this. Before His grace, we're dead, the Bible says. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. But the Bible tells us that, there, that when we come to Christ, we are new creatures. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Verse 8 and 9 make it very clear in our text here that we're saved by grace and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. We're saved by faith alone. But I want you to understand something. This world that we live in 
some of them the best testimony they'll ever see of the gospel is you and I. We are his workmanship. The Bible tells us in James chapter 2, verse number 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show thee my faith by my works. The book of James, there was some, uh, some people that were against adding it to the can- uh, canonization of Scripture. They didn't fill the book of James. They felt like James chapter 2 and those verses contradicted Romans chapter number 4. Romans chapter 4 tells us that Abraham was justified by faith. Whereas in James chapter number 2, it basically says that Abraham was justified by works. And they're like, there's a contradiction there. And there's really no contradiction at all. It's just us and our limited knowledge of things. The book of Romans makes it very clear that in the eyes of God, we are justified by faith. The Bible talks about without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The book of James is all about practical Christian living how to live your life in this world. And the world, they cannot see your faith in God. They see your faith in God by how you live. That's the truth. That's what this is talking about. And faith should have works with it. Do the works save a person? No, 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 no. But works are important. We're going to talk about that this morning for just a little bit of time. We're going to talk about this morning the workmanship of grace. We see number one, if you're following along in the outline, number one, we see a word. I'm going to give you a few thoughts about this today, a word about workmanship. We're looking at one verse today, not going very far, just in one verse today. If we go one verse at a time, it'll take us probably a few years to get through the book of Ephesians, but that's okay. We look, and Paul begins here by saying, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. The word workmanship here, it means that which is made a work or a work of art. It comes from the word that gives us the word poem. It refers to a piece of literary workmanship. It, it, it came to refer to an author, their, um, their, the, their greatest literature, literary achievement, their masterpiece. What Paul is saying here, for we are his workmanship. Who's the we? We can go back to chapter number one and see that this letter was written to the saints at Ephesus and to believers. Guess who the we is? Us sitting in the room today. We are his workmanship. Think about and let that settle into your mind for just a minute. That's what Paul is saying is that the saints of God are his masterpieces. The saints are his greatest achievement. The saints are the greatest work of the master potter. The saints are the greatest letter ever written by the hand of the master author. He was able to take dead, worthless clay and shape it into something in his powerful hands and mold us into something new for his glory. We are a masterpiece that he created. Think about that one. 2 Corinthians 5.5, the Bible tells us, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. You look at that word wrought that's mentioned there. That word literally means to fashion. He made us. We are his workmanship. When you think about the raw materials God has to use when he saves sinners and changes lives, it becomes even more incredible what he did. When we think about this thing, a word about workmanship, there's a couple of thoughts I want you to remember this morning. Letter A, the redeemed are God's letters of love to a lost world. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, the Bible says, Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. If you're saved this morning, your life is God's love letter to a lost world and dead world around us. He's written his love on you today. You think about this, he loves sinners. He sent his son to die for sinners. And the fact 
He saved you, redeemed you, and made you a new creature. It shows this lost world. This is what God's trying to do. And there are some people today that will never step foot in a church. They'll never pick up a Bible and read through the Bible and see what the Bible says. But the thing that they have in front of them is the Christians that they know. Paul says, you are our epistle written in our hearts. You are a letter. You are an advertisement. You are his workmanship. And people see you. When they see you, do they see Christ? No artist paints their portrait and hides it in the closet because they never want anybody to ever see it. Unless it was me being the artist because God didn't, uh, that's not my thing. I can't even make stick people look very good. And so I, I'm not very artistic. If I were to write a poem, my poem would go and get hidden in a closet because I'm not poetic at all. And uh, my mom, I wrote her a poem in high school because I had to for a project. And my mom was very gracious. She put it out. She read it. And after a few weeks, that poem disappeared. I've never seen it again. I praise God that that poem's gone because that was that. That was a work of art right there. That was, that was a work. Wow, my, any poetic being inside of me, the .0001% in me, that was quite the poem. But you think about it. Every writer, why do you write things so people can read it? Why do you paint things so people can see them? Why do you do the things you do? God didn't save us so that we could keep our salvation to ourselves. God saved us, and we are displays of his grace. We are his workmanship. If you're saved, you're a testimony to the world of what God is doing in your life. The Bible says here, for we are his workmanship. Look at that very next word. It says created. The word created here means to form and to shape. Remember how the Bible says in the beginning, God created. It's the same exact word that is used in hebrew in the old testament greek new testament has the same meaning it means this is what it means get this to make something out of nothing <laughs> say well so he made something out of nothing in me yes you are dead and your trust you and i are dead in our trespasses and sins you can't work with something that's dead can you I've, I wouldn't say I've got a green thumb, but I, I've done okay with some things, a few things. And I remember growing up, my mom, rose bushes everywhere. That was her thing. And we had rose bushes galore. And rose bushes were very resilient. You could, you could, they did pretty good. But the better you take care of them, the more roses they had, the more beautiful all this. You had to trim them when they got the dead ones, all these different things. But once a rose bush got to a certain point, it was done. We had um, one of my uh, cousins came and did the, my parents' yard, and they decided they were going to use Roundup in the yard, and the Roundup was going to go in certain places for weeds. And so he's standing there pumping the thing like this, and it's spraying all over two of my mom's favorite rose bushes that were right there. They both died. When the rose bush is dead, you can pour as much water as you want to on it. You can do anything you want, but you're going to get nothing out of it. It is of no value and you got to dig it out and put a new one. We're dead in our sin. He took something worthless and brought life to it and made something new. Praise God for that. Praise God that he could take a worthless nothing and breathe life into it and make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. For we are his workmanship created, the Bible says here. One moment we're dead in our trespasses and sins, the next we're alive in Jesus Christ. The believer instantly becomes a child of God and is forever changed by the power of God. Something that has never before existed comes into being the moment of salvation. And praise God for it. See, letter B, the redeemed are trophies of God's saving grace. If we were to go outside this morning, we look at the mountains and we look at the sun, and you go out at night and you look at the stars and the moon, 
And uh, there are stars up there. I know sometimes with the smog you don't quite see them there, but there really are stars. And uh, the Bible tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. The Bible makes it very clear that the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. So, so a fool says there is no God, yes. Why? Because even nature itself, the heavens declare the glory of God. This world around us, just the things that God has placed, that he's created, it tells us someone created this. It's very clear. That's why the Bible says what it does. But something I want you to understand just as much, just as when you see the heavenly bodies, the sun, moon, stars, and the things that God's created, they declare there's a God, there's a God, worship him, there's a God. I want you to understand something. Every child of God who walks, talks, acts, and lives differently because of grace is a bold testimony to the fact that there's a God. Look at what he did in my life. That's what it's about. We are, test, we are trophies of his saving grace. Napoleon was aboard a ship in the Mediterranean one clear night. On the deck, he was walking past a small group of officers, and they were mocking at the idea of a supreme being, and they said things like, God of creation, what a joke. He stopped and he stared at them, and he took his hand across the sky and said, gentlemen, you must get rid of these first if you're going to say there's no God, because the heavens declare the glory of God. So does a Christian. For we are his workmanship you're a trophy of god's saving grace i mentioned last service the christian school i went to we played sports i enjoy sports i love sports i'm praying the chargers could win today they really need to and if any of you would pray for me 1 p.m today they're in tennessee they really need to they're starting to go in the wrong direction and uh so yes do that for me say does god god care about football no i don't think he does but um, he loves me, so he might, he might help me out today. Um, in high school, we played sports. My senior year, football. The year before, we'll say my, soft, my junior year. Yeah, junior year. We had the best athletes on our team. I mean, the pastor's son was on that team, the principal's son, and several of them. They were just the top athletes. We killed everybody in football. It wasn't even close. I think the championship game was 42-7. to seven. That was the championship game. So my senior year, there's only two of us that are seniors, and we lost our very first game. And our very first game was against a weak team that our song leader, Brother Jay, he was the coach of that team at that time. And I was so mad at them that they beat us. And the past, their pastor's son had red hair. I couldn't stand redheaded people for a while. And then God gave me a son, and there's other redheads. I'm fine with redheads now. <laughs> but um, we, we barely got to the championship game. We worked hard championship game i'm on the defensive line i had two interceptions on the defensive line and ran them 50 yards and they got me right before the end zone both times we end up winning eight to six was the final score i mean we struggled so a while back i took our teenagers were with me at my home church and they have a big trophy case so i wanted to take my teenagers to go see my trophy right and that's the game I had two interceptions in, and, you know, just explain just a little bit to them. And so we go up to the trophy case, big old trophy case. Probably when it's all said and done, most of this wall right here, maybe a little less, big old trophy case. And I start going through the one side, 2013, 2010, 2006, 2004, 2002, 2000. In that big old trophy case. And the year before me, my junior year, every one of their stinking trophies is still in that case. My football trophy was not in that case. <laughs> they didn't even have to work hard to get their trophy. I mean, I had to get two interceptions. A big guy running the ball and trying to get a touchdown. That, it was quite the, it was, it was tough. And I did not imagine it. You can ask any, anyone who was there. That was, it was real. I've even got videotape of it, but I don't know if I'll ever let anybody see that because um, I didn't explain fully everything. The way our Christian schools worked, we didn't play tackle as a flag football system. And the way that they stopped me on both ends, they pulled my pants down, stuck my flags, and I fell to the ground twice. 
I was going to leave that out, but I had to tell the full story since someone was wondering about right there. But anyways, I wanted to go show my teenagers my trophy. You and I are God's trophies of what he's done. What does God say when he sees you? Oh, this is my trophy, but we stick this one in the back corner. It doesn't quite live up to what I know. How do you live your life? Say, well, pastor, my salvation isn't based on my works. It's not. But you are God's masterpiece. Do you live like it? We see in letter C, let me get letter C because I'm already ready to go to number two and I skipped letter C, but I'll give that to you here real quick. Letter C, God is a master craftsman and he took something worthless and transformed it into something of infinite value. All around this room are living, breathing testimonies to the changing power of the gospel and what God has done. All around this room are examples of his workmanship. All around here sits the evidence that God can make new things when he saved our souls. We see that not only do we see we're created, for where is workmanship created? Look at the next three words. In Christ Jesus. Once again, how are we saved? In Christ Jesus. If you are not in Jesus Christ, you are not saved. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. What you've got to understand is this, and we're getting to number two. If some of you are thinking you're getting to number two, I looked at my notes again. There was something I needed to give you that I didn't. That's why you have notes in case you forget to give something that you should give. The Bible says that we are his, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We're saved by him. But look at the first word, the very first word of that verse, for. That carries us back to verse number 8 and 9. Paul tells us that God's salvation is not a result of our works. In other words, we didn't save ourselves. But salvation came to us, and because of that, we should be living for him. That's what it says. Paul said it perfectly in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace that was bestowed upon me was not in vain, because I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not but the grace of God which was in me. And Paul makes it very clear today that where we are, what God has done, is not, and where we are at in life is not because of anything we've done. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And not because I labored more than anyone else or anything else, but I am what I am because of God's grace and what he's done in my life. And this morning, church, you are who you are, not because of how special you are or how great of things you've done. I'm not anything today. It's by the grace of God that I am what I am. And by his grace only. So like Paul said in Romans 3.27, he said, where is boasting then? is excluded by what? The law of works, nay, but by the law of faith. We have nothing to boast in today. I love how that song says about um, how, uh, how deep the Father's love for us. I will not boast in anything, but I will boast in Jesus Christ. And Paul said it in, in uh, Galatians chapter number 6, verse number 14, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And Paul says, I cannot glory in myself. I cannot glory in what I've done. The only thing I can boast about, the only thing I can give glory to is the cross and what Jesus did for me. See, this morning... We are what we are, not because of what we've done, but because of who he is and his grace. And by God's grace, we are what we are. We see, number one, we see a, work about, a word about workmanship. Number two, we see a word about works. 
I get so tired of Christians. I'm glad that I'm not God. And let me just be honest, I get, I get tired of myself every day, okay? If I were God, I would have been done with Brian a long time ago. I fail and fail and fail, and then I do good for a little bit, and then I fail again. It's just an ongoing, it's like a broken record. It just keeps happening. And I wish it wasn't, I wish I could just keep going on and do what was right, but it doesn't always happen. But I get, today you hear so often, it doesn't matter how you live your life. I'm saved, and nothing else matters. Baloney. You are not saved to live your life the way you want to live it. You are his workmanship. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to him. Get it? You and I belong to him. That means we do not do what we want to do. We live how God would have us live, correct? So look at verse number 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. A Christian's life should be characterized by doing good works. How are you doing this morning? How were you last night? How were you Friday? How are you Thursday? Were you doing good works? That's what we're supposed to be doing. Not for salvation but as trophies of grace and what he's done for us. We should be good testimonies to, to those that live in this world around us. And they should see Christians who live the life and don't only just talk the life. There are so many hypocritical Christians. And let me be honest, there are times that I'm one of those too. We all are. And if you say, not me, um, just remember something. By the grace of God, you are what you are. Hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing something else. If you're a Christian and you call yourself a Christian, do you act like a Christian? Does your language reflect that of a Christian? Does your activities during the week reflect that? Does your movie watching reflect the fact that you're a Christian? Say, Pastor, you're going from talking about the grace of God to meddling in my life. You'll be okay. We need more preaching that talks about things like this. And I'll tell you this, there are plenty of churches everywhere you can go. If you want to hear a good message to make you feel good and not have your life changed by the power of the Word of God, you can find a lot of other churches to go to. We need what the Word of God says. And He created us. He made us out of nothing unto good works. That should be a part of a Christian's life. When we talk about this and when we look at this, my notes went back to the very first page. I don't know what I was doing up here. Oh, that's when I hit, I, I, when I was hitting this, I hit my iPad instead. Praise God, it didn't break. That's a good thing. The Bible says, create in Christ Jesus unto good works. We know works don't save us, but works are a byproduct of salvation. As surely as you are truly saved, good works will mark your life. And then this is what you hear from people. Well, so-and-so got saved, they said, but I don't see any good works in their life. Number one, that's none of your business. Salvation is a heart matter with God. God is the judge of who's saved and who's not. Number two, you can look at John chapter 15, and you can see that there are some Christians who do not bear fruit. God's not happy with it, and he purges them. There's lots of things the Bible says in John 15, but there will be some Christians that do not bear fruit in their life. And also remember this, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ someday. And I think Christians all think it's going to be just such a wonderful, blessed day to stand before the Lord. But when he's given you all the talents he has, and he saved you and made you a new creature, and you've done nothing with what he's given to you, I don't know how wonderful your day stand before the Lord is going to be. You're, you're saved and you'll still go to heaven. That does not change. Your eternity is secure. But the Bible talks about our works being tried by fire. And what's left? 
and it's very interesting, and I'm, if you, you can hear more about it, you go back to my sermon two weeks on, on Wednesday night about the judgment seat of Christ and hear more about that. But God says he'll wipe all tears from our eyes. That's after the judgment seat of Christ already happened, after the great white throne judgment. In the new heaven, he wipes our tears away. That's what the Bible says, chapter 21. How you live is important. He's created us unto good works. We see letter A, the child of God will evidence a life that is occupied with deeds that reflect well on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. And your life should be an evidence of the fact that you're saved. The Bible says in Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation, that word conversation means only let your lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Let's, th- let's think about that one for a minute. How's your lifestyle today? Do others see the gospel of Christ and what God has done in your life? Or do they see that the power of the gospel has none effect in your life? You can think on that one. I'll think on that one too. I've been thinking on it all week. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, that I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What Paul's saying is, hey, church, church of Philippi here, let your lifestyle, let it be that that signifies the gospel and what Christ has done in your life. That whether I'm with you or else I'm just hearing news of your church, that I hear the fact that you're doing what you're supposed to do that you're being his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's what Paul's saying here. The good works of a new life in Christ Jesus stand in contrast to the old life. The works of the flesh in Galatians chapter number 5, you see there's a whole long list of them. You look at the beginning of chapter number 2 here in Ephesians where we've been, and we see that in, it talks about how in times past we walked according to the course of this world. It talks about all these things before salvation. And then we see that we're a new creature. Hey, the new creature, well, talks about the fact that we're, we have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance, meekness, and I probably skipped one in there. But you know what I'm talking about this morning. Those are not products of the flesh. The old man could not have love the way the Bible talks about love. The old man can't have peace like the peace that can come after salvation. It's a different. You're made new. That life that knew no peace can have peace. That life that, couldn't, that didn't know self-control can have self-control. That life that could have no joy can now have joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's what it's all about. And that's why the Bible talks about, as a Christian, put off the old man. We're going to look at that when we get to chapter number four. This is one thing that I think some Christians get lost in. Paul is writing this same, these same verses to the same people he's been writing the whole time. Christians. Go to chapter number four for a second. Why don't you see what I'm talking about? Ephesians 4. And look at verse number um, 17. It says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Christ, that ye, and look at what, what should happen, that ye put off the old man, or they put off concerning the former conversation. The old man says that you put off that old life. Now, this is what people have a hard time with. People think just because they get saved, they don't ever struggle with the flesh ever again. As long as you live this life, this flesh will always be there. You say, well, I'm saved. I don't have to worry about that old flesh. No, the Bible literally says here that you put off I'm going to show you what putting off means, okay? Let me fix this so this goes right. This is putting off. 
It's literally to take off. The Bible says, look at verse 22. And we'll get more of verse 22 when we get to chapter 4, but this could be next year before we get there. It says that he put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful us, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Look at verse 24. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in right. Do you see created again? In righteousness and true holiness. Now look at the rest of it. Wherefore, put away lying. Hey, take off the old man. Stop the lying. And speak every man truth with his neighbor. Do you see that right there? Hey, be angry, but don't sin not. Let not the sin go down upon your wrath. Hey, let him that steal, let him steal no more. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, because before that old man, corrupt communication proceeded out of that mouth. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And so you see the Bible says, take off the old man, put on the new man. That is a battle we face all the time in the Christian life. Because the old man is still there. The old man still wants to do what the old man wants to do. And Paul says, Christian, if you've let the old man rule, you haven't learned what Christ was trying to teach you. You put off the old man. Put on the new man. See, before salvation, all you got's the old man. You have nothing else. When you get saved, you are made a new creature, which means you have a new creature and you have the old man. Someday when we leave this earth, the old man is finished. And praise God for that day. But are you putting on the new man? Or are you keeping on the old man? A new life he creates within us when we are saved will always work its way out through us in our works. Let her be. The new life he creates within us when we're saved will always work its way out through us in our works. What's on the inside is sure to come out. That's why we look at our world and we look at the sin and the wickedness in our world and we'll just take mass shootings. We'll use that as an example for a minute. I do not believe one day a kid or an adult wakes up and says, I'm just going to go shoot people. It's not how it works. It's what's inside makes its way out. David did not wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm going to commit adultery with Bathsheba and I'm going to murder her husband and I'm going to have her come be my wife. I don't think David planned all that in one day. I just woke up. That's what I'm going to do today. No. The inside got wrong first. And what's on the inside is sure to come out. Bible talks about, I want to take your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter number um, 7 for a minute. Actually, I want you, we're going to look at a couple of passages in Matthew this service. I didn't do it last service, but that's the benefit of coming to the second service and not the first service. First service, I get the first trial run of the message. Second service, I'm able to think more and piece it together even better than the first service. Matthew chapter, go to chapter 12 first. We're going to look at a few passages in Matthew. You say, why aren't these on the screen? Because these weren't going to be in the sermon. These are, these are new. So Matthew chapter number 12, and you look at verse number 33. The Bible says, either make the tree good, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruits. O ye, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of a good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of an evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment, 
For by thy words shalt thou be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Do you see that right there? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. If you're a saved child of God today, and you're living wrong, the problem is because of what's inside right now. You're letting the old man run you. And it's coming out in your actions. A Christian who puts off the old man, puts on the new man, it will show as well. That's why you say, well, that Christian doesn't look like they're a Christian by their actions. That's because they're not putting off the old man. The old man is who's feeding everything. Instead of being a trophy of grace, you're being a trophy of whatever you want to call it. Because you're not being what Christ has called you to be. You're a new creature. You're supposed to put off that old man. Put on the new man and live the way that the Lord's called you to live. Look at chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Look at verse number 17. Do, Matthew 15, verse 17, Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the drop. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. See, the fact it's what's on the inside. When God saves a soul and changes a life, he moves in and takes up residence. That's what the Holy Spirit does. When God dwells in any life, he makes his presence known. And when that happens, it should be producing good fruit in your life. And that's God's plan. God's plan is for us to have good works. Go with me to Matthew chapter number 7. Look at verse number 16. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Then he talks about how you can know who is one of those and who's not. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that is bringeth, for, bringeth not forth good fruit is hewed down and cast into the fire. Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. What's the will of my Father? Salvation through Jesus Christ. There are going to be many that say, cry out and say, Lord, I, I prophesied in your name. I did all these things. He's like, you didn't do it my way. And look at what it says. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have we not cast out devils? And in thy name done many wondrous works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, or ye, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, you see the therefore ties it all together. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which buildeth a house upon a rock. When you trust Christ and Christ is your foundation, you're like a house that is built on a rock, that when the storms come, it will stand against it. But when you build your foundation on any other source but the foundation of Jesus Christ, you're like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand went smash. It's a kid's song in case you didn't know that song. We see all these things. Their lives are destroyed and they have the wrath of God on them. Why? Because they were never been redeemed by Jesus Christ and saved by His grace. The message is simple. 
trust Christ or perish. If you believe on Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. And when you are saved, good works will mark your life. Not the works of the flesh, but the works of the new man. And that's how it should be. Leads us to number three. We see a word about workmanship. We see a word about works. And then number three, and lastly this morning, we see a word about our walk. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. This is what the Bible says, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Referring to those good works, this is what Paul says, that God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This statement makes a few things very clear to us. That God expects his children to walk in good works. I think you can see that in that verse. The word walk means to make one's way, to regulate one's life, to make full use of opportunities. It has, uh, the word is in a tense that suggests a once-for-all decision to walk in good works. How, do we, how does God expect his people to walk? Well, there's several things. My mind always goes here, letter A. The Bible talks about to walk in love. God expects his people to walk in love. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. How are people going to know that you're a Christian? How are you going to be a good testimony for God? How are you going to be a trophy of grace? First of all, you walk in love. The Bible doesn't say here that if you carry my word in your arm and carry tracks with you everywhere you go, that people are going to know that you're a follower of me. Although that might give some people an inclination of that. But it says, do you want to know how people are going to know who I am? If you love one another. That's the way it's supposed to be in God's house. We're supposed to love the brethren. I like some of the people, but some of those people just... That's not how God intends it to be. If we want someone coming in here, we want them to see the love of Christ here. If we are all fighting with one another and -and so-and-so is not getting along with so-and-so and so-and-so and all these different folks aren't getting along with one another... There is no difference than a normal family gathering for some people. When people walk in here, they should feel the love of Christ, and that comes by our love for one another. That's how people are going to, wow, that church is different. They, they actually love one another. They have, a, they have community, that's a good word. I'll use that word in a few weeks at the beginning of the year in a message. How are people going to know we're the disciples of the Lord, followers of him, by our love for one another? Not only should we walk in love, but let her be, we should walk in obedience. This is what Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. Let's think about the two, two most important, to love God with all your heart, soul, soul, mind, strength, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. If you love God, you'll do those things and obey Him. I remember I got in trouble one time as a kid, and I got to be careful. I mentioned, well, this service isn't recorded on Facebook Live. My mom started a while back, a few weeks ago. She's, I got her, I got them on Facebook. Very limited access to it because who knows? My dad's seventy-seven, my mom's seventy-four. She has really poor seventy-three. She's in really poor health, but she she hasn't been able to go to church in a while. So she wanted to be able to listen to my sermons, but that means i got to be careful what I say about her in the sermons and things. And she said that if I don't tell the truth about her, she'll find her way here and tell people the truth about the matter. And so when I was a kid, I got in trouble one time, and I don't remember what exactly I did, but you know, you don't ever, you don't ever want to get in trouble. You didn't want to get, I got spanked as a kid, and yes, I do believe in that. I, believe, I do not believe in abuse. There's a fine line between the two, and uh, there's a very fine line. The Bible's very clear. He that Basically, he that spareth the rod hateth his son, the Bible says. And so, discipline is important. Never in anger and never in abuse. That's never okay. 
You should never leave a bruise on your child because you can't control yourself and how you discipline. And uh, if you need more information on that, you can come to my office and I'll explain that to you. But it didn't, it didn't harm me. There are times that I didn't deserve it that I got it, but it made up for the times I really did need it that I didn't get it. And so it all, it all worked out just fine. But one time I got in trouble and you know, I thought maybe I'd get out of getting in trouble and said, Mom, I love you. And I gave her a big hug and tried to be all sweet. And I th- it's actually, I got in trouble at school. I cheated on something. And uh, she looked at me and she said, if you loved me, you wouldn't have cheated at school. You would have done what was right. If you love me, you've got to remember, talk is cheap. Love is action. You say, I love God. Okay, is he most important in your life? Number one. And you love your neighbor as yourself? That's what it says. Walk in love, walk in obedience, let her see. Walk in faithfulness. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Are you faithful to the things of God? Are you faithful? Are you faithful to read your Bible? Say, Pastor, you talk about reading our Bibles a lot. Do you read your Bible? I think if a lot of Christians would get back to just reading their Bible faithfully and get back to prayer faithfully, it would help a lot of us in our lives. Do you read the Bible? Do you pray? Are you faithful to the house of God? We're in a sad day in America and in our churches where people think it's a wonderful thing that they go to church twice a month. I've had people totally excited about the fact they go to church twice a month. The Bible says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. What does that mean? Go to church. Pastor, I go every Sunday morning. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So let's say this is your church, which most of you say in this room it is. We gather together on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. The Bible says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So you are one-third of the way there on being faithful to God in that area. Say, Pastor, I, have a, I work and I can't go that time. Okay, I get it. But what about the time you're just sitting at home watching Sunday night football? It's true. It's requiring stewards that a man be found faithful. I know we don't like to talk about are you faithful in your ties to God? Oh, pastor, why are you talking about money? Are you faithful? That's all I'm asking. You and God can figure that out yourself, okay? Are you faithful? I give when, when things are good. Is God good to you all the time, or does he just pick and choose when he's good to you? It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We should be faithful to God. You want to teach your families the best things, parents in the room? Teach your children to be faithful to God. My parents, we went to church every time the doors were open, and guess what? I go to church every time the doors are open. It's amazing how that transferred to me. If my parents didn't go to church very often, I wonder how much I'd go to church. We go to church once, three times, four times, once a week, so will your kids go once a month when they get old? What do you show them is important? Well, let me just mark some things off and make sure we understand something. Uh, work is important, I get it. Your family is important. And let me just make sure you understand something. You need to make sure you get time with your family. And that's vacations are good. All those things are good. You need family time. But God should have number one priority. That's the truth. Does God have priority in your life? You think about that one, and you can talk to God about it. Letter D. When we're talking about the grace of God and all that and how we're his workmanship, we all, that's all good. And then we get into some practical there. And it's like, oh, it gets kind of quiet in the room. We're about our walk. We're supposed to walk in love, walk in obedience, walk in faithfulness. How about this one? Walk in holiness. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And I've heard many a person say, well, my righteousness is as filthy rags. So I can just live, it doesn't matter if I try to do good or not. It's never going to be enough and never add up. So I can just live my life as I please, and it doesn't matter how I live my life. God saved you, 
and he expects you to be set apart and different. That's what the word holy means. Is your lifestyle that of holiness? Say, so, well, holiness is Christ in me. I have to do nothing myself. Sanctification is a process. God, when he saved you, is, trans- is doing a- working in your life and making you more like Jesus Christ. And that change should manifest itself in increased holiness before God and before this world. There was a boy that was acting up in Sunday school class one day, and he was being rowdy, and he was really frustrating his teacher. And his teacher said, why do you act like that? Don't you know who made you? And the little boy said, yes, God did, but he ain't through with me yet. And that's, tr- that's true. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. We're all a work in progress. And I have confidence that the work he's begun in us, he'll finish, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he that has begun a good work in you will perform until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, we're done. But the last little bit of that verse I want you to see. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now look at this last this phrase, which God hath before ordained reminds us of something, the fact that we're not saved by accident. Before we ever came to Jesus by faith, God already had a plan for us. Jeremiah was written about in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I set you apart, Jeremiah, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And if God did that for Jeremiah and had a plan for him before he was ever born, he has the same exact thing for each of us in the room this morning. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So what I can tell you is this. I have many people ask me from time to time, they're like, Pastor, I just want to know God's will for my life. How do I know God's will? What does God want me to do? Well, there are several things where the Bible says this is the will of God in Christ. You're supposed to give thanks in everything, right? That's one of the things you know do what the Bible says. If the Bible says this is the will of God, mark it down. Those are things to do. But you can also see in this verse, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained. God wants you to do them before he ever met you, before he ever made you, I should say. God's will is for you to do the good works because he saved you. Gage, come up here and help me for a minute. He's sitting on the end, so I'm going to use you as an example. Come stand here. Don't look scared. Everything's okay, all right? <laughs> I used the Anthony last service, and he survived. Does this look like a masterpiece to you this morning? He just shook his head no. <laughs> Are you saved? Yes. Then this is a masterpiece right here. God made this guy right here, and when he saved him, he made him a new creature. Each and every day, this guy has to pick and choose. Is he going to put off the old man and put on the new man? What is he going to do? But he was created to do good works. So when Gage gets saved and he goes to school and his friends see him, they're like, hey, we're going to go to this party and hang out and do these things that a Christian should not do. And Gage's like, sure, I'll do it. No, don't shake your head no right now. We're talking about, we're talking about, we're, this is the old gauge we're talking about, the old man gauge, okay? We're talking about the old man gauge. <laughs> gauge goes and do those, does those things. Gauge at lunchtime is using all bad language, not being a good representation of Christ. Is that God's plan? No. God saved this masterpiece right here, this workmanship, so that he would do good things. So that all those people that he spends time with, they say, wow, there's something different engaged that I really want in my life. That's why the Bible says to let your light so shine before men that they may see what? Your good works. And glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Safe child of God, you are his workmanship. You're his masterpiece. Are you doing the good works? Or are you living a life to self? When the world sees you, do they see? You can go sit down. (coughs) He's a masterpiece, but he's still got some work that he's done. 
When the, when the world sees you, do they see Jesus? Or do they say, there's no difference in them. You are God's masterpiece. Created, God took something worthless and made something beautiful out of it. And only God could take a wrecked life and make something beautiful out of it. And what are you doing with what God's given to you? Christian, your works do not save you, but your works glorify your Father in heaven and show this world around who your God is. Father, we thank you for the time.